are not the same, but three shall be as one. Freedom in the flame, the end has just begun. And, uh, welcome. <laughs> oh, that was way too cheesy. <laughs> uh, welcome to Novel Not New, a true end podcast, a show where we choose a visual novel every month and discuss it like a book club. I'm Jennifer Uncle, and uh, joining me as always, uh, Six Dutmar. Naxalas. And, uh, M. I don't have a good thing here. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Uh, so yeah, this month we're covering uh, Pyre, which was a game by Supergiant Games. It came out in late 2017, around the September time, and, uh, yeah, it's it's this weird mix of visual novel, RPG, and um, a sports game. Because um, the general premise is that there's a group of um, exiles who are sent over to this area called the Downside. And the only way that they can actually leave it is performing these uh, ceremonial rites. Which takes the form of a sports title, like... Essentially, it's a 3v3 situation where there's one ball or orb and they have to find a way to throw it into the other person's pyre and make it hit zero, basically extinguish it so they can move on. And um, basically, the story elements all coalesce around explaining what caused this um, game to form in the first place, and also just the various things that are happening in between each of your members. So, uh, what did you think of Pyre? Well, first and foremost, I have to apologize to all our listeners. I spent quite a while trying to come up with some fantasy pun on NBA Jam or NFL Blitz or MLB Slugfest, and I just couldn't come up with anything good. So I'm sorry for that. It just, I, I just wasn't up to the task. Um... Setting that aside, uh, I played a little bit of Pyre when it came out, and I found it kind of like, it was obviously very pretty, but the characters didn't immediately click with me, and I wasn't a big fan of the uh, of the gameplay. And after about, like, 45 minutes, I was like, eh, I think I'm good. Um, and I, I, I'll, I'll hold some of my cards and just say, coming back to it, I liked it a lot, lot, lot more. Um, uh, I really liked this game, uh, for as long as I could play it. Uh, I ended up having a weird save corrupting bug that even when I restarted the game would not allow me to like ever, every time I went to autosave, the game would just crash. Um, and I don't know how to fix it. So I played maybe like 50 to 60%. I don't actually know how much was left. Um, I played up through the second liberation, right? And then that was it. So, um, I really enjoyed what I played, but then I couldn't play anymore, which has admittedly soured me on the whole thing, uh, though not in like a way that uh, will hope affect much of what we're going to talk about today, I think. Yeah, the way that it's structured, um, essentially the way that it starts out, um, a group of three end up finding you um, in the desert um, pretty close to death, and uh, one of them, Hedwin, ends up a bringing you along and being like hey if you can read this book then we really need your help because we need someone to we need someone on our team who can essentially read this book and conduct the rites for us which basically means controlling us and uh it's like a cross between a coach and someone who's 
actively assuming control of each person. They, they're kind of unclear on how much control you're actually exerting on each person, but uh, the idea is all of it is in your hands. So you're traveling along with um, the initial three, uh, Hedwin, uh, Jodariel, and Rookie Greentail, and um, over time, as you're going to each of these um, each of these matches, you're picking up more and more people that also join your cause. And at some point, you run into the at some point you run into the person who's more or less been pulling the strings for your group, the Nightwings, behind your back, um, Volfred Sandalwood. Who, as soon as he <laughs> reappears, he's like, "Okay, I'm a reader, so why don't you just go take a hike?" But of course you, of course you basically insist. No, I got us this far, so I'm gonna keep going. And essentially, at some point, by the time you get to the first liberation, right, you find out a few things. Um, one, only one person can go back up to the Commonwealth at a time from each match. Two, readers are not expected to be part of that group. And um. I guess those are the main two initially, mm-hmm. after you complete the first liberation right. But at some point, they do, they do add something of a timer because one of uh, Volfred's old teammates, um, Orlek, who um, Volfred believed to be dead, returns and he's essentially split the Nightwings by creating a new group called the True Nightwings. And the Commonwealth and the gods aren't very happy with that, so. Uh, they basically add a time limit to how many more liberation rights can occur. So at some point, the idea, it's this sort of situation where you constantly have less time than you initially assumed. Like when you're going through the first journey, you're assuming you're just going to get everyone through at the end, but no, you have to keep doing this over and over again. So you're like, oh, okay, I'll just keep getting each person one by one. And then they're like, no, you can only do so many because this is going to stop very soon. So you have to be very... You have to make some tough calls on who you think would best help out um, Volfred's um, basically revolutionary plan to overthrow the Commonwealth. And uh, who you think deserves freedom the most. And they put a lot of pressure on you. But um, they also... They also stress that since you're the person who got them this far, and they have to put all your faith in you, the reader, that um, they will be okay with whatever you choose. So depending on how well you do, how many people you get over to the other side, and how significant they are within Volfred's uh, revolutionary plan, you can either overthrow the Commonwealth, or presumably... I I didn't... I managed to um, overthrow the Commonwealth, so I'm assuming that if you get below a certain percentage, then things just are as they were before. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to, to to quibble a little bit with one of the things you said. They never really establish why the rights are ending. Some people suspect that Orlick doing his stuff is, is why, um, but there's not really any insight given to that, and there's a lot weird that's going on. So I feel like it's I feel like it's more complicated than that. Yeah, that, that's true. Like people seem surprised that this is happening. Like this, this doesn't seem to be something that has ever happened before. Like previously, when the rights had stopped, it's because the Nightwings weren't fully formed, and 
in order for any liberation rights to happen, they have to be against the Nightwings. You're you're in some way the common adversary of every other group um, in the downside. So, essentially, if that group isn't available to fight, then no one goes free. Mm-hmm. But suddenly, because of this, because of weird things happening with the stars, then even with a full group, things look pretty dire. Yeah. So, okay, I think there are some characters that you ended up not getting to then, uh, M, because you didn't make it all the way. Uh, who would that be? Like, I don't know who Orlek is, other than looking it up, to be fair. So um, you don't get Orlek in your party or anything. Okay. Um, so, not not him, but, like, um, Wolfred does actually join, like, become playable. Yes, I game. so I looked up some stuff, and I saw that uh, he becomes playable. Um, my guess that the voice was evil turned out to be accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, not, not the biggest stretch no. there. Um the um the bog hag you met earlier who turned your your wagon into a into a boat uh bertrude she joins you as well okay that's cool just do they join because you're running out of people or just Um, as a mechanic of the plot both okay i mean like it's oh i mean I, i guess also like depending on how you're doing they will join and you could not be running out of people you could distinctly not be running out of people because uh one of the things about this game is you don't have to win any of the matches in way which yeah like you could lose every single match in this game and the game would continue i did not do that i was playing on easy won every match handily so same same and i i think i think at least the first time through like i'm considering playing again um i definitely think that's the way to play i don't want to stress out like one of the things that made me when i first played this not like it that much was like first off i feel like i had a bad grasp of how to actually play but second i was playing a normal and it's just like no i just i just i just want to like fucking dunk on these fools i don't really care about the challenge (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i was initially into the challenge like they some of the mechanics get really interesting once you get into them and the abilities that you unlock as you're leveling up can really significantly change how you're using each character um for example, at, at some point you can get a, a basically Sir Gilman's cast is basically what he leaves with his trail. And if you hit B, it does a little cutting motion and you can upgrade him in a way where that also allows you to teleport to various points in the arena. Okay. And um, you can also get into stuff with the Titan stars once those start appearing, but I never activated those because I just wanted to win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Titan stars, um, once you get to a certain point in the story, uh, are basically like once the rite's about to start, there are other constellations that appear that are basically like, I mean, uh, Supergiant Games has done this sort of thing a lot before, but they're Halo skulls, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and just modifiers you place that are all uh, make the match harder in various ways, like making your enemies faster or making them not stay banished or whatever, um, but giving you more experience in return. And I never had any trouble with experience, so I wasn't even tempted, really. So. Yeah. And um, if you... If you're really glutton for punishment, uh, after you defeat the, after you beat the game, um, 
There's a new difficulty that unlocks called the True Nightwings, which requires you to choose three of those Titan Stars in each match. Hmm. In addition to the AI being a bit tougher than the normal AI. Right. Yeah, that's useless to me, but, you know, I guess it's nice that it's in there. Uh, yeah. My question, do you ever get Sandra in your team? No. Do you get her out of the crystal? Okay. Nope. That's a shame, because she's maybe the best character in the game. You can get, yeah. you can get more content with Sandra, I will say. Okay. But Yeah, uh, it's a shame, because at some point, uh, uh, at least when I was playing, she kind of shuts down because you've been getting too close and she appreciates your presence because it seems like you're out of all the various readers you're the only one who has paid this much attention to her but um she starts to worry that that is threatening her ability to eventually be out of that hell prison so (laughs) not the arc i had with her but oh interesting uh what happened with you i mean i just you know went and talked with her time to time and she kept appreciating my presence and being grateful to talk to me and in the end I, I don't know maybe she did this for you as well but she was like hey i it seems like this is all ending why don't you just take my crystal with you and we can just fucking hang out and i was like sure deal um and then like there's a series of character epilogues which i'm sure we'll get to but like there's one of them for her and it's cl- it, it becomes clear when you click on hers that these were just written by, like, some, some other people from the Commonwealth. Because they're like, oh, you know, people never saw that crystal again. People people think Sandra's probably just a myth, and it's probably a load of shit. And then Sandra cuts and is like, well, you believe this load of shit? Anyway, let's go, girlfriend. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> all right, cool. Oh, that, that sounds great. It, did, do you end up finishing all of her trials? Yeah. Uh, okay, that might be why I didn't get the same thing. Like, I stopped after... Th- when there were only two left, but uh, yeah, I probably should have seen that through because Sandra was really cool. <laughs> yeah, I I appreciated her her arc. It wasn't like huge, but it was just this nice little like I don't know, trying to find a way to like make her literal eternal imprisonment kind of be like okay. Um, and I thought that was, uh, that was, that was nice for such an angry lady. She managed to look on the bright side. So. Totally. Yeah. I, I feel like this game does, uh, the interpersonal relationships very well. Like, um, a lot of your time, if you're constantly checking back in on, uh, the cart, whenever there's a notification is you're kind of bonding with all the various characters and, Depending on who leaves and who stays, you get different um, reactions. You, you get letters that come back from the Commonwealth explaining what's been going on, and everyone kind of says their piece about how happy they are for that other person and how they might be able to see each other at some point. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Um, I feel like I I like all the characters in this game pretty well, which is is pretty rare. I I basically like the entire playable cast. Um, And the character I like the least is somehow the asexual socialist Sandalwood. Uh, (laughs) You'd think with those those two traits, we'd get along great. But he seems like kind of just a prick. Yeah, he seemed to soften up a bit as we went on, but... It definitely puts you on the wrong foot with him when he's like, oh, okay, you have my cart, and I get out. And it's like, no, no, I'm, I'm staying with these people. <laughs> and thankfully, Hedwin and the others 
vouch for you. Because <laughs> Hedwin had, had that whole promise where he wants the four of you to escape and be on the other side together. I was going to ask, how many people do you get to liberate in the course of the game and in total then? Because I assumed it was going to be everybody. Uh, no. Um, seven, I think? That's most yeah, everybody. Well, uh, yeah, you know, it depends on seven. how it goes. So, um, I mean, I mean they, they state really up front that you're not um, to be counted among those people who can be liberated. So yeah. that already limits the number to all of the characters that you really like, plus a couple extra, I guess. Yeah, that kind of gets a bit more complicated at the end, because um, for one thing, you find out that the voice that has been speaking down to you has been... It was a former member of uh, the Nightwings as well, and the way that the voice talks to you about it, it sounds like there could have been a there could have been a path where you took over as the voice and um, reingratiated yourself within Commonwealth society, but um, also at the very end, um, at least on my end, the shimmering pool malfunctions for the last person. And I was initially planning to send Tiza over, but then Tiza was like, it, it seems to be allowing anyone to go in right now, but just one person. So he nominated me, and because I already had that promise with uh, Hedwin and the other two, I decided to uh, take that opportunity to liberate myself. Yeah, and in my ending, it was also Tizo was the last one I put up, um, and Tizo also was like, hey, here, you take it. Um, and, uh, Orlik is also there, and or- cause, uh, Orlik is like, what the, you know, what the hell is going on? Like, why is it, like, malfunctioning like this? Oh, it's like the, are the, the scribes just screwing with us? Um, and when Tizo declines it and offers it to you, uh, the bard is like, well, and so now, uh, the reader can decline it and return it to Tizo. And Tizo can decline it and turn it to the reader until one of them decides that they're ready for it. And or like this is like this is fuck. If you guys can't decide, just send me. Um, <laughs> and I was like, okay, deal, go. Or like he was like, wait, what? Uh, okay. Um, and given the content in the epilogue, I'm I'm pretty happy with my choice. Yeah, it. One of the more interesting things that it does with the liberation rights is there are definitely times when it seems like you could risk uh, the plan's uh, success, but uh, it seems like it would... There, There's some adversaries that you meet that you'd really like to be in the Commonwealth as well. Or at least out of the downside. Like, um... It, on my end, since I took it and Orlek didn't, he threw himself off the cliff again, and this time it was for real. Like, this time he actually died. Huh. And, um... Yeah, and also there's um, there's someone on the team that was uh, the fate. There's um, that um, smaller, the smaller kid basically can get really well. The vagabond girl can get really attached to him, and I felt guilty for kind of taking away his chance at liberation because I really liked that kid, hmm. and. Seeing um, Vagabond Girl and him interact was one of the highlights of the later games. Uh, what happens in the later game, anyway? Yeah, she was the first one I sent on, so I don't think I saw very much of that interaction. Ah, uh, okay. So, 
yeah, if you end up facing them a few more times, um, she basically asks him to be um, her friend, and uh, they get into some interesting conversations about even this, even this girl who is very penitent towards the scribes and the idea of the rites doesn't see a problem with taking her mask off and casually chatting and making friends with uh, the other triumphant members. And yeah, it gets into this interesting thing where the, the kid feels pretty conflicted about um, Vagabond Girl's affections towards him, but um, I feel like there's an interesting relationship there. She actually ended up being my favorite character. Um, yeah. You get to choose her name um, when you meet her, and I went with Ray, and there's this interesting parallel to autism in a way, because her deal is that she's uh, what the Commonwealth calls moon-touched. Um, she's consistently... Back in the Commonwealth, she consistently was very penitent towards the scribes, which were blasphemous in the Commonwealth society, and she prayed, she made herself very visible, and because of that, um, downside basically... I mean, Commonwealth exiled her to the downside. She didn't commit any crime other than just being very vocal and within the society very off-putting. And you get to talk with her a few times and it, it really tugs it really tugged at my heartstring to see her talk about how she doesn't get why they didn't like her because this is just the way that she is. And as someone who as someone who grew up kind of having people bouncing off against me and being pretty antagonistic towards me because of my autism, I could very heavily relate to some of the things she was going through. Yeah, she was also my favorite character. Um, and I don't know. So one of the things with the, you know, we, we mentioned you can choose her name. All the names rhyme with gray. Um, I don't know. It feels like there's probably some kind of meaning to that. Um, but I don't know. She just like, she has this like positivity and I don't know. It's, it's, there are so many interactions you have with her where she's just like, she's, she's so optimistic. She's so willing to look on the bright side. And she also like, is, is, is genuinely like, uh, a motivational figure like you know you have lots of characters in games who the games tell you like oh she makes everybody feel you know they make everybody feel better they're really positive and you're like okay you've told me that and i guess i believe you but with Faye, you see it they don't you don't they don't have to tell you that she's really like a, a good thing for the team like you see her interact with people you see her way of viewing the world and it's just really hopeful and it's really nice yeah totally and like you, I felt pretty motivated to send her along. Not not first, but um, she was definitely the one I was like, no matter what, I'm getting you over there. Mm-hmm. Did uh, you have a favorite, then? Um, So, my favorite is probably entirely divorced from how much I enjoyed the character in the video game part. Uh, because my favorite was probably Jadariel, and I never liked to use her in the video game. <laughs> She's rough in the video game. Yeah. She's... <laughs> Uh, I mean, I don't want to like, I don't want to turn and turn this into an episode of, of neutral game. You're newbie friendly fighting a podcast, but <laughs> she seems bad. 
Yes. I mean, I, I like the the amount that she can take down the pyre every t- if you do succeed with her, but uh-huh. she's just so slow. It's not the kind of character I'm interested in. Like, the character I like playing as the most is probably Tizo, despite the fact that he barely has a personality in the game, other than being, like, a mascot character. Um, and uh, so it was... I just like the, like, kind of grumpy, off-putting, like, Auron-style characters. Like, I'm here to be cool and tough and then slowly reveal my sensitive side to you. Um, it's good. She's sad. She's the saddest one. She's extremely good and, and sad. Um, actually, with Tizo, just as on a gameplay front, um, th- through Sandra, through Sandra's trials, you can unlock unique, like, trinkets for them. Yeah, um, I did. I did, like, I, by the time I was done with the, how much I played, I had unlocked almost everybody's thing. Because as soon as they unlocked, I went and did those. So Tizos, just for anyone who doesn't know, um, reduces the stamina cost of his dash, um, and then it can be upgraded to the point where it removes the stamina cost of his dash, so you're never not running with Tizo. Yeah, he's incredible. <laughs> he's yeah. so good. Um, it's it's pretty screwed up, because you combine that with like one of his abilities, which makes him do extra damage even though he's small. And he just, like, you know, it's like, unless they had, like, three demons and just stood on top of the pyre, it's like, if if he was out on the field, it was like, okay, that's 25 damage. I don't even have to worry about it. It's just going to happen. <laughs> uh, I, I, the latter half of the game, almost every right I finished without them scoring on me, so... The thing that I did with him is I gave him the contract where you get money for killing people oh, and then geez. was upgrading that. And then I would just go out there and wipe out everyone until I'd max out that every round. So I had money to buy stuff with. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, my main strategy was um, actually actually a decent amount of it was uh, with Shardariel because she gets a giant uh, pyre bonus um, through one of her abilities or trinkets. So... I would basically have her puppy guarding the pyre and send Tizo out and get things done. And um, at some point, the game's like, okay, you can't just keep playing with the same people. At, at some point, they'll get um, right sickness. So that's the game's way of being like, okay, you need to choose some p- different people every once in a while. But uh, yeah, whenever I could get Jadariel um, in there to buff up my pyre strength and Tizo to just run laps around the enemies, that was always pretty good. Yeah, once they had the unique items, basically everyone was kind of broken in one way or another, so I was I was fine with like I mean, Hedwin, the the character who I was using the least at first, his character unique one is that he can do like uh he has an easier time doing like power shot aura stuff, and if it lands, he ha- just has infinite stamina for a while. So it's just like you walk up, you take someone out, and then you sprint and jump into the the pyre, and it's just like again guaranteed goal. There are so many ways to spec in this game that are just kind of unstoppable. It, <laughs> it makes me feel like maybe on the harder difficulties, this game is only frustrating because I feel like the only way to have the other the 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 adversaries keep up with you is to make them also obnoxiously broken, and that doesn't sound very fun to me. Yeah, and sometimes the adversaries will, well, well, some someone will intervene, and the adversaries will cheat in a way. Like, um, that 
that one match, um, they ended up spawning much closer to the orb than you're supposed to, and you have various parts where there's at least one or two matches where you almost extinguish the other team's pyre, and then suddenly a a lightning bolt from above gives them like 50 more pyre points. Huh. So it kind of it knows how to keep you on your toes sometimes. Yeah, I didn't see a pyre restoration in my play, but. Yeah, there are various, like, critical health, uh, t- like, twists that are... Yeah, yeah, they're alright. They're fine. Yeah. I guess my my last thought on, on that matter is that my favorite uh, triumvirate is the... Uh, are they the withdrawn? Which are, like, the, the swamp people who are trying to summon their elder god. And they're my favorite because they were, at least in my playthrough the most, like, completely 100% worthless. They didn't <laughs> score on me the entire game. They were pathetically bad at the game, and I thought it was a really fun... They were sort of, like, they were so threatening, and they were talking about how they were going to end the world, and they just sucked shit at the game. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was personally pretty into the dissidents, because they're basically a Mad Max-style post-apocalyptic team full of curs, and uh, there's one named Barker Ashpaws, and you can practically hear the Australian accent, even though it's uh, all in text. <laughs> and it's very fun to have a team that's like, oh, we don't care about liberation, we just want to cause trouble and have fun. And post-game, after you've liberated everyone else, um, they're... They basically are like, okay, we're going to start our own unofficial Pyre League just because we like uh, running around with this ball so much. <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, I liked the Pyre Hearts just because they're a bunch of uh, fools. Just a ship of fools going through <laughs> the, the seas causing trouble. Uh, Sir Deluge, a uh, personal highlight every time he would show up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sir Deluge is a pretty great coward. <laughs> I had the great moment um, with with Sir Deluge when we were playing one of the later game matches against him, and again, he was not scoring on us, and we got his pyre down to like 35 HP, and he was like, listen, just just dunk on us one more time so we can go home, this is embarrassing. (laughs) I was like, alright, fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the person that you get from that team um, that joins you, Sir Gilman, it, he's all right. Um, I, I can kind of I go back and forth on those sorts of characters in these games. The one that's very much trying to be the, um, very much trying to be one of those honorable knights, and I get I guess in this in this case, his stature helped a lot with him endearing himself to me because. Seeing the small worm being very gung ho was that was a good time. He was he was great. Um, you're you're being unkind to him because he was very. Oh wow! I, sorry, I tried to post a, a screenshot and it cropped very weirdly. Um, well, these things happen. Um, he was very very loyal, very affectionate, very self-effacing, and. I thought he was really charming, and I also just like, I mean, not only is he small, but he's like, he's this honorable knight with like this, like, sick scar over his one eye, and it's like, yeah, there are literally billions of him. Like, 
they make it very clear, like, oh yeah, no, he's a he's a worm knight. Like those fuckers come by the by the millions, right? Like you can't mm-hmm. reach into the sea without grabbing like twenty of them. And to me, that makes it really funny the way he's got this like chivalrous quest for honor. It's like, my dude, you are the most <laughs> mindless of minions. Like, I I love you for it, but it's it's great how much he matters given how much he should not matter. Yeah, and his voice samples are like a cross between it's like that there's a there's a voice sample in the older worms games that sounds pretty similar to him and it <laughs> yeah. it's a very entertaining voice. I did not make that connection, but I I see it now. Yeah. I guess I'll say about Rookie, I enjoyed Rookie's whole persona, the way that he, on the outside, tries to look very um, untrustworthy and mercantile and someone who would do anything to get by and someone who's rolling in riches, but deep down he's just a mama's boy who wants to get home and spend more time with his mother. And they aren't as rich as he claims, so he just wants to get back there and do whatever he can to help out in the family shop. So, of course, I also wanted to send him back pretty quickly. And... Uh, Ru- Rookie was the first person I sent back. Huh. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, how? Do... Where do you stand on the mustache? It's great. He should keep it. It's good. What? You're bad friends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with them on that one. The mustache is amazing. Like, ah. it's a bad mustache, but... It suits him because he's a ridiculous person who doesn't know what taste is. <laughs> Why don't you, like, I don't know. If if my friend comes to me and they're like, does this shirt look good on me? I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like, you know, if they're not, if we're not already at, a, if we're already at a party, I'm like, yeah, man, looks great. Even if it looks terrible, because we're already at a party. Let's not have them have that self-doubt when they can't do anything about it. But if we're back at home, being a friend is saying... It's not your luck. Uh, knowing that you're like, if your friend is all into the persona of being like eccentric and they come up with an exceptionally eccentric look, I'm just going to lean in and let them be their best selves. Even if it is like tacky, it's his. It, it, it suits him to yeah. be that extreme and ridiculous at all times. This is a, this is a better argument than I've heard before. <laughs> where Jen's yeah. was just that it looks good, which is wrong. But... <laughs> You know. uh, I don't. I don't. I wouldn't say it looks good. I think it suits him as a character to have a weird, like semi nefarious mustache, despite being just the biggest doof in the world. On the other hand, though, like the 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 rarely seen art where he's sad without the mustache just looks really touching. Um, I don't ever want to be have Ricky be sad ever. Really. Well, good news. He's going to be sad no matter what you do. Um, kicking him out early meant that the uh, whole wagon just a real bummer all the time <laughs> since he's the one character who is always positive yeah that that sounds rough I there was a period near the end where like all that was left were people who I was like yeah you know you can you can <laughs> stay like I don't know I, I, so okay who did you have left at the end Jen um at the end I had um Volfred, Bertrude, and Tizo. Huh. Volfred, huh? Yeah. Um, Volfred seemed like he had been there for a while and that 
he, he seemed resourceful enough that if he were here a bit longer, it wouldn't make much of a difference. Um, I kept Bertrude there because Bertrude likes Valfrin. Even though they don't have a romantic relationship going on, they have a very... Even though Bertrude likes him romantically, and Valfred does not like her romantically, they have this very strong connection with each other, and I didn't really want to break up that whole thing. Mm -hmm. And um, Tiso, I was initially going to be sending over, but when he offered, I ended up taking the Ascension. Yeah, Tiza was going to be the last one I sent as well. Um, I also kept Bertrude because, I mean, she said, she says blatantly when she joins, like, listen, don't send me. There's no point. I like it here. It's fine. Um, and then I didn't send Pamitha because her sister's still down here and she cares a lot about her sister. And it seemed actually, to me, it seemed kind of crummy to send her on when her sister was still stuck down here. Yeah, I... That's that's another one of the um, ascensions I kind of regretted because there was a there there on one of the ascension rites um, you practically hear Panatha begging you uh, mentally um, to allow Tamatha to win this so she can get her freedom and I was too focused on getting victory and overthrowing the Commonwealth but uh, it felt really shitty to leave her behind like that. Yeah, I don't know. I At that point, I was... I think if Pamitha goes back, she tries another bombing run on the capital and gets thrown down here again. I mean, it didn't seem like there was any point. Oh, that that didn't happen in uh, in my story anyway. Well, um, that's, that, your revolution succeeded. I, I was worried about the revolution at the point where I had the option for her. Oh, okay. Yeah, th that makes sense then. <laughs> yeah. I imagine if the revolution hadn't succeeded, several of those characters would have found their way back down in a very violent manner. Yeah. Did um, either of you ever mess with uh, the trinkets inside your um, inside your wagon? No, I poked at them once or twice, but no, not really. Okay, because if you hit certain ones enough times, you get some fun interactions. Like, if you hit the nautical bell too many times, Ruki comes out as like... Uh, yeah, just keep hitting it, sister. Just keep hitting it. I'm not angry at all. And uh, you get this cute prompt that's like, Rookie shall never forgive you, then so be it. <laughs> and then you also get some stuff with... Um, when you take Pamitha along, she has her... Um, she has a giant bottle of alcohol. And if you just keep sipping away at that, she, she comments that, Oh yeah, this, this is something I found as poison... Though it turned out just to get me drunk, and um, it never runs out. And I sure tried to kill myself at one point by drinking all of this, but um, instead I got really drunk, so here I am. Huh. Well, that's that cheerful story. <laughs> Thanks, Pamitha. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess the other thing is um, this game has multiplayer in it. I think this is the first first game we've covered on this podcast that has multiplayer. Um, yeah. I'm guessing none of us tried it. I definitely did not, know. <laughs> yeah, it, I think it's local only. Um, I could be wrong about that. I think that's right, yeah. Because, you... yeah, imagining people just sitting in the lobby of this uh, story-heavy video game waiting for someone to play online like i guess that happened with mass effect 3 but uh i don't see that happening for this small indie game 
Yeah. I don't know. I guess I guess I for hearing about all the effort they went into making the multiplayer, it's like I I think it's cool that it exists. I think like once you've created all these systems, like it makes sense from that point to be like, okay, well, let's just make a multiplayer mode of it. But I don't, I don't know who it's really for because I can't imagine anyone spending any real time with that. My guess is that they probably were using something very similar to that to like test the team balances when they were being the game and just enjoyed it and was like, we're just going to put this in the game as a thing people can do. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, totally. Like if they already have the... If they already have the systems in place for two people to play, might as well keep that in there. Because that seems like the best way to test, like, balance of a game like that is just let everyone control all of the teams you're going to run across. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, uh, anything else we need to touch on here? Uh, I do want to say for, like, a game that, like, we've talked mostly about the story stuff. I think of all the games we've played, this is maybe the most, like, visually and, like, uh, musically interesting game of That's true. all of them. Uh, I think this is a gorgeous game, and the ways in which its world is built out through design and of, like, the layers you move through and the scenes and the music, and even the, like, ways in which it gives you hover over options in like all of the proper nouns of the game anytime you want to know what's going on um that is useful and quick to reference um there's just a cohesion to this game that i don't i think even is better than the other super giant games that because I've, I've played all the games up to this that have come out so far and uh, this is definitely my favorite even not being able to finish it um and i was just really taken with how rich its world is um because I was expecting to be kind of put off by, like, the sports game visual novel, because I felt like that was uh, maybe not where I wanted to see Supergiant go with their game design, um, and was just charmed by it the entire time. I had a great yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with you. This is this is also my favorite uh, Supergiant game. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the way the presentation, the art, the music, and everything comes together is just really special. Um, I guess the one other thing I will say is, for a lot of the game, I was really not into uh, the performance of uh, Logan Cunningham as the voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wasn't digging it. But at least if you keep winning, near the end, he is just like it's it, he he maybe overdoes it a bit, but it's still it's still very enjoyable the way he's biting back how much he hates you with every official statement, <laughs> where he's just like the Nightwings win again, and it becomes very fun. So yeah, I, I enjoyed uh, Logan Cunningham's performance. Uh, it, it took me the first few hours of playing before I realized that was Logan Cunningham. Like uh. He's doing a very different thing than he's done in any of the other Supergiant games, so it has a much different uh, tone to it. And um, I was also really into the stuff that they did with the music, like um, Darren Korb plays the um, lone minstrel who is uh, joining your group, um, and essentially he, during the um, during the final rites, um, He's always joining that, um, I forget the name of the woman who he's playing. Uh, Celeste. Celeste, yeah. 
And they do some interesting things where the only time a song has vocals is when he's performing it with either Celeste or by himself. And every once in a while, you'll have him go, oh, how about a song? And you get you get to hear a little bit of, um, you get to hear a pretty good song. And all of them are, all of them are very closely tied together with the world itself. Uh, the theme of the uh, game, which happens towards the very end, um, kind of go. It, it ties in together the mechanics of the three acting as one and um, kind of tying a nice bow on that situation. Uh-huh. And uh, the way that the songs change during the Liberation Rites is pretty good, too. Like... Um, you got different um, instrumentals going on in the background. Uh, the lyrics change up a little bit. And I think my game might have bugged out at this point because I was listening to the um, version that's supposed to be playing during the Dissidents, and it's a little bit more rambunctious. But when I was doing my uh, Liberation Right with the Dissidents, their theme just kept playing in the background when it wasn't supposed to. That was pretty fun. <laughs> Yeah, for me, the distance never got a chance at liberation. So, yeah, I, I, they were they were one of the ones that I never let get there because I was I was will I was willing to go on if I ended up losing one of them, but I was like, I'm not going to let one of the people who literally just wants to go to the Commonwealth to start smashing things. I'm not get gonna let one of the ones who's praying for a tentacle monster. Those two, I'm gonna make sure never make it to the rights. <laughs> yeah, I also <laughs> Yeah, I also didn't want Manly anywhere near the um the Commonwealth because he seemed like he was gonna be someone who A helped the Commonwealth become more entrenched and B was just gonna make everyone else fucking miserable out there. So I was like, okay, I whatever it takes, I cannot let this person win. Yeah. One other thing I'll say about the music, uh the song at the very end, uh while the credits are going it uses uh, whatever your results were within the liberation rights, who stayed and who went to um, do a little song about the Nightwings. Um, for the most part, it's a pretty decent song, but um, the way that they, the lyric choice that they have for anyone who ended up staying, they kept repeating something like, they too shall remain. And the way that it wasn't, the ones that remained weren't all grouped together made it feel very artificial and oh this 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 isn't written super well when it clashes like that yeah it's it's clearly like it doesn't end up sounding very good when it kind of bounces back to that in a uneven way yeah and uh yeah i guess that's all i really have to say about pyre other than i think that people should really give this a shot even if uh even if the idea of playing a sports game isn't really their cup of tea typically any other final thoughts from the rest of the cast i don't really have any no um i guess my final thoughts on the game uh i mean i i liked it a lot i have a few small quibbles but honestly for the most part like i'm pretty fresh off it and i need more time to really make this judgment but right now i would put this on my top 25 games top 25 games like i like this a lot this is definitely my favorite thing we've covered here this is definitely my favorite super giant game and if i'd played this when it came out in 2017 it would have been in my goatee conversation so oh wow that's awesome 
yeah, I guess uh, help. I guess lowering the di- difficulty made a pretty huge difference for you. And just giving it a little more time. I mean, like you know, characters like meeting more characters I like, having time with characters who I hadn't been sold on yet for them to sell me. And just there was a lot. There was a lot there. So. Yeah, for sure. Okay, uh, should we do emails now? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll go ahead and read these out. Um, if you want to send emails, you can send them to podcast at abnormalmapping.com. We have two emails today. Uh, our first one is from Edward. Um, their email goes, uh, so I'd hope to play all the way through the game in time for the episode, and while my moment-to-moment experience with it has mostly been pretty positive, seeing what looked like an endless grind of rights stretch out before me after the first liberation right caused a deep weariness to settle upon me, and I walked away from the whole thing for like three weeks. Plank the rights lost its appeal pretty quickly, and I began wishing for a win-lose button so I could skip them and get to the little character bitch, which so far have been the main draw. The fact that the main plot seems to be basically over slash inevitable after that first liberation right doesn't help either. Assuming I'll finish the game, is my preemptive exhaustion merited? I would say no, given the stuff that even you talked about, like the wrinkles that are produced into that game, into the game. Yeah, right? I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't think so. Um, sorry to sorry to shut you down there, uh, but like. Yeah, I think, like, the there are fewer and fewer matches between rights after every right. Like, the period mm-hmm. between liberations gets shorter and shorter, um, to the point where eventually it's just, like, it's one and then a right, and then one and then a liberation, and then one and then another liberation. Yeah, that's um, what I had assumed was going to happen, so. There's um, not that many of them anyway. There's seven liberation rights total. There's, uh, like, unique dialogue every time. The character interactions keep expanding. You keep getting access to new mechanics. Um, this game took me seven hours. Like, I don't know. I don't think that's that bad. Mm-hmm. I if you don't like if you don't like the 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 gameplay, you don't like the gameplay, and that's totally fair. Um, I can see wishing for a win loss in that situation, and I feel like including that option could make some people happy. Though personally, I probably would have started using it before i should have because i had a second wind with the gameplay Mm -hmm. um so yeah i don't know always always setting it's easy will help there because the game on easy is pretty easy yeah yeah if you're if you're getting tired of the liberation rights if you set it to easy and you pick some characters you like those rights are going to be very short yeah Uh, um so continue on with the questions. Uh, how did you feel about the conversation where Volford asks for your definition of freedom? I was surprised both by how many options there were and that also that despite the breadth of choices, I didn't quite agree with any of them. The fact that Volford then turns around and re-explains your position to you before supplanting it with his own felt weirdly condescending during what felt like the clearest declaration of ideology the game had made to that point. That's because Volfred's a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's meant to be condescending because he sucks. <laughs> Yeah, Wolfred's totally. kind of a kind of a prick. Like I I agree with like I none of the none of the de- definitions of freedom really spoke to me. Um but uh, I mean like also that's the situation like I kind of connected with the reader in that moment where it's like, oh, "Okay, I've been put on put on the spot by this kind of like condescending prick." And I'm having trouble coming up with a good answer. And then no matter what you answer, I'm pretty sure he explains. Even if you choose the one that he's going to say, I'm pretty sure he'll still yes. explain that you're wrong. Because um, <laughs> he's just a fucking asshole. Yeah, I also liked how the game lets you define yourself somewhat, um, but not entirely. Like, um, you get to choose your pronouns and um, you get to choose from a list of 
backstories, essentially. And you can even, there's a point near the end where you're giving a motivational speech and you interact with the words to change what you're going to say for each part of it. But, um... The stars are with us. <laughs> yeah, the stars are with us. And, uh... There's this sense that even though you have you have customization in how you see yourself and how the rest of the team sees you, um, you're still playing a character within the very within a very author world. Yeah, there's a very like CRPG feel to a lot of the game to me. Uh huh. Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, the email goes on and concludes. Uh, Realized both these have a somewhat negative bent, which I'm kind of frustrated with because I think the game's main project of representing the ways an elite class creates mechanisms which seem to offer advancement, but ultimately reinforce existing hierarchies is basically a noble one. And I love the way the art and sound design and writing and those emotion spike animations all work together to create dozens of wonderful little scenes that are cute and sad and funny and touching. The team at Supergiant is clearly a group of extremely talented people, so this seems to be a case where high highs make what dips there are feel a bit lower by comparison, but I don't know. I still intend to push through, and I'm looking forward to hearing y'all's thoughts. Uh, thanks for all the work you put on this and all your other podcasts. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I definitely think, like, story-wise, this is absolutely the best Supergiant has done. Um, like, I... I, the prior games, like, I enjoyed the story of Bastion for what it was. I uh, didn't really like the video game. I felt the exact opposite about Transistor, which is a game I really liked playing, but absolutely hated the story of. Man, um, so many people in that boat, and it just baffles me. Um, I just really liked the, the like, action RPG element of that game. I played through that game twice just to be able to, like, play with all of my abilities from the jump. Huh. Um, also, that game's, like, four hours long. Yeah, there is that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, there was a PS to this. Uh, this is also partially formed. Uh, I'm sure it'll come up regardless, at least a little bit. But thoughts on what's going on with the player representing a reader in a world of no reading allowed? The game is basically playing with ideas around the, the way access to resources is restricted to maintain class divisions. And the formal role of reader helps situate the player more directly in the world. But the player character having access to a specifically forbidden skill that mostly none of the other characters have... Uh, and you winding up on the Nightwings, a specifically privileged team, seem important in ways I haven't wrapped my head around. Thanks again. The plot's about this. Like, there are multiple readers in that world, and the idea of reading is one that's, like, forcefully limited, right? Like, the whole thing is that right. the bad guy made, like, made this rule that wasn't supposed to exist. It's not that the world, there was only supposed to be a couple readers. Like, everyone should have had access to that all along. Yeah. Yeah. Um... It's supposed to be a reflection of the of the corruption of the culture because, like, the I mean, like, the whole culture is ostensibly founded on the Book of Rights, and then you're not allowed to read the Book of Rights um, because, of course, they've twisted its meaning to serve their own purposes. So I think I think it's yeah, that's that's very, very much the point. It's very much uh, they they. The game discusses it in depth, and I, I appreciate what they have to say on the subject. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, likewise. Uh, the other email we have is from Kyrie. Uh, Supergiant games are known for making their stories of their games tied to the mechanics of the gameplay. Over the course of Bastion, Transistor, Pyre, and now Hades, which game manages integration best? What moments in Pyre did the synergy of the mechanics and story work best or fall apart for you? Bonus question, if Pyre were an eSport, who would you main? Yeah, um, well... In terms of the eSport one, I think uh, I'm with uh, Six in terms of saying Tizo all the way. Um, uh, yep, Tizo for me also. <laughs> Tizo or Pamitha. Pamitha's pretty broken. Pamitha's pretty cool. 
yeah, she has that ability where if you're if you happen to be flying into the pyre, um, there's a good chance that she'll come back um, with that. Well, the way that the game works is if you throw yourself into the pyre, that character is um, banished for a round. But um, if you throw the ball in or to use something like um, Pamitha's special bo- special ability, um, you can throw yourself in and come back without uh, losing a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also she just has flight and can move really fast, and she's just very strong. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms for, of uh oh god i was gonna say as for integration i haven't played hades but i i mean i already said i think this game does it better than the other two do um i, I don't think bastion does a good job of this at all uh honestly outside of it gives you a little story beat when you pick up a new weapon to be honest i don't think any of them do like i don't and i don't think that's necessarily a problem but it's like I never thought of Supergiant Games as doing a great job of inter- integrating story into the mechanics. In fact, I always felt like, I mean, there was like often narration during the gameplay, mm-hmm. but it felt like more than most other games, it was really clear when it was story time or when it was game time, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like there are like literal loading screens and Transistor, it's like, oh, it's game time. Here comes the turn-based mode. <laughs> um Bastion is probably, well, I would say Hades. Hades is probably the best. No, even on Hades, because it's like, okay, you're in roguelike mode or you're back at home talking to people. I think think none of them would I say that their strength is in making the the story and the mechanics work together. I don't think that's a problem. I just don't think that's what they do. Uh, For me, this isn't necessarily a question about the formal states, but more about like, in the world of Pyre, these people play this game. They have these abilities, like they know what these abilities, they know what their abilities are and get, like they study to get better at them and unlock them. They prep to put on their, uh, you know, magical uh, basketball masks and then they go out there and they play magical basketball. And that's like (laughs) what the the story of the world is. You know, it's about playing magical basketball and the team mechanics and the rivalries that go with that. Um, so like the entire world supports the fact that you are playing magical NBA jam. Um, I don't know how you could tie those things in better than Pyre does. I guess that's true. Um, it is, I I didn't mention it before, but it does kind of strike me as weird. It struck me as weird playing the game that, so not everyone in the downside is performing the rights, but Mm -hmm. You see almost no one who isn't. You see almost no gatherings of people. You, it's it's the way the downside is represented and the the population down there feels a li- feels a little bit skewed and weird to me. I mean, the impression I always got was like, as a purgatory state, it's all like everyone's kind of isolated, no matter if you're doing the rights or not. Like, the rights are the only thing that does bring people together, because you form the communities around the teams, and everyone else is just kind of drifting through this nether space. I mean, but it's not like you don't need food down there. I mean, like, you still have to eat, you still have to have shelter. In fact, I would say it's more necessary down there, given the caustic nature of some of those environments, and so that seems like just as a natural mechanic of of humanity and survival that would drive people together and create communities. Yeah, and you do get a 
Oh, we totally forgot to mention anything about Falcon Ron. <laughs> he, he's basically one of the few characters you meet that's completely disconnected from the rights, and um, he's mostly there to make weird grumbling noises and um, offer you deep discounts that usually aren't so deep. Like, uh, near the very end, he's like, well, I guess since the rights are ending, I have to go out of business, so I'll give you the amazing discount of 5%. <laughs> and if you don't buy anything, then he just grumbles under his breath, uh, cheapskates. <laughs> yeah, um, aside from Falcon Rod, you don't really see many people that are discon disconnected from the rights. And, um, I definitely see where Six is coming from, but I also feel like towards the beginning of the game, when you're closer to the desert area, you do pass through a town or two. I guess that's true. Mm -hmm. That's fair enough. But yeah, in, in terms of um, integrating story with gameplay, I'm with them on this one. Pyre's probably the best that they've done. Uh, Hades does a pretty decent job too, just because um, it's a roguelike situation, and the way that they... The way that they set up uh, you constantly dying and coming back is your Hades spoiled brat child who wants to who wants to escape the underworld and hang out with your um go meet your mom and every time you die and um come back uh, Hades just taunts you a little being like oh hey how's it going um looks like you're never gonna make it there huh <laughs> or look what you did to your poor dog Severus he tore the place up. It, this is all your fault. <laughs> there's yeah, there's some great like, there's a like a given spawn point when you die in the um the roguelike element. There's like this pool of like I guess blood or something that you climb out of respawning, and the prince is just sort of like uh, so I wasn't gone very long that time. Uh, hey everybody, and I just I I really like the the myriad lines of him being like, you know I thought that would go a little better. Um. It's it's that that integration is pretty is pretty good. Yeah, totally, very charming. So, um, if you have any, if you ever have any further questions about Pyre or any of the other games we've covered, you can send an email to podcast at abnormalmapping.com and uh, we'll read it on air. I'm so tired. I expected you to say giantbomb.com. <laughs> that, uh. that you can send a question there, I guess. They probably would throw it away, but you know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what are we playing next month? Uh, next month we are playing Lady Killer in a Bind, uh, which is by Christine Love. I don't remember the name of her company. Uh, uh, Love Conquers All Games. Okay. Um, you can get that on Steam and probably from her website. It's on Humble, I, I assume. So. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Um. It's the one Christine Love game I have not played, so. We'll have a yeah. lot to talk about. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so, thanks everyone for tuning in, and we'll see you in February with Lady Killer in a Bind. Peace.